Heavenly Father, we just thank and praise you for allowing us to meet together tonight. Lord, we just ask now that you'd superintend every part of this service, that your name would be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The brother's voice is going to be back in shape again tomorrow. I, I saw him the whole way through his mouth and every word. You don't rest your vocal cords that way, brother. And, uh, but uh, we're going to have some uh, music. If you saw the display coming in, uh, I challenge you. Uh, whatever you don't have that they have on the table, you need. Amen? Uh, it's good music, and it doesn't put you to sleep. I mean, have you ever heard someone, they talk about all this great music that just, and, and I'm not criticizing it, but you just play it, and it's like, uh, you can't sleep when these guys sing. Amen? Uh, you just got to tap your toe and, and, and enjoy it. And that's, that's the way godly music ought to be. Amen. And so, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. And uh, what we're doing on Thursday night now uh, is uh, we're having a series in theology. And we started off with the doctrine of Christ. And uh, this is our fourth lesson and uh, we're not going to cover every problem. I mean, I was reading through some theology books on my shelf, and they spend about 90% of the problem talking about uh, Manichaeanism and Docetism and thisism and that schism. And, and I'm just sitting here going, boy, after getting woke up by the quartet singing, that put everybody to sleep just about like that. And... Uh, I'll tell you what, Jesus is a subject that ought to thrill your soul. Amen? And, you know, they can call it whatever they want. Theology, I've heard preachers over the years say, well, you just can't preach strong doctrinal sermons today. People won't take it. Well, we've been doing it here for almost 22 years and uh, I think people are still enjoying it. At least you come back for some more. Amen. And because that's all we have. We're, we're not here just to feel good. Because that doesn't work when you go to work tomorrow. Uh, that doesn't work when you're struggling. When it's your little baby that they're doing all kinds of procedures to in the hospital, like Franz and Sonia, just the last couple of days. And, and I'll tell you what, when Jesus is there, you're just not too worried about things. Amen? I mean, there's part of you that wants to worry about everything. And, and you just sometimes have to tell yourself to shut up and let Jesus do His work. Amen? Because He's the one that does it. And, and we've gone through the Bible, what Jesus said about Himself as He introduced Himself as the light of the world, as the bread of life. And, and every one of those things, again, we could, we could spend a whole evening on I am the bread of life. But suffice to say, when Jesus was trying to explain the spiritual partaking of the Savior, he's saying, listen, it's not just a commonplace relationship I want with you. I want you to 
fully assimilate. I want to put you into myself as if you were eating. I mean, when we eat, we put that food inside. Amen? And it turns to things. Uh, I mean, sometimes it just turns to unsightly bulges that we don't want. Uh, That means you've had too much. Praise God, you can't get fat on Jesus. Amen? The more you get, the less there is of you. But it is a connection. It is a living, changing relationship that we have to work on constantly. If we turned all the lights out, you wouldn't be able to read your Bible. And... Really, one of the greatest tortures that mankind has devised is locking you in a dark room with no light. You will think an eternity has passed, and it's only been a couple of hours. Listen, Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the way. I am the good shepherd. He said, I give my life for the sheep. Uh, all of these things Jesus has said. We, we went through how that we start in creation, Genesis chapter 1, and we went the whole way to Revelation 22, as Jesus is in every chapter of this Bible. And, and tonight, I'd like to spend our time primarily in two passages. I just mentioned Uh, Acts chapter 9, because this is an appearance of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There are very few times that He actually appeared in His glory and was described. Now, Paul is only going to describe it as seeing a great light, a light that dimmed the noonday sun. And he was blind, so he didn't see anything else. But Daniel and John saw the glorified Lord. And if we're going to study about him, let's study about him. Amen? Not what everybody says. And look here in Daniel chapter 9. I hope you're there. And it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia... Now remember, Darius was the first king, Cyrus was the next king, the captivity was 70 years, Daniel had been trained by Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was an old man at this time. If he wasn't 90 yet, he was really getting close, let me tell you. And uh, it says here, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, and I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the fourth and twentieth day... Of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is the Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and beheld a certain man, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of 
Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into me, in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before me, before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." Let's skip down to verse 15. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground. I became dumb. And behold, one is like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with his, this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong. Yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou has strengthened me. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Acts, chapter 9. We'll start reading in verse 3. And as he journeyed, He came near, this is Paul, Saul of Tarsus, near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord... What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation, chapter 1. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet 
saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, what we've done here is just read the accounts. Uh, it doesn't take too long uh, to see and to hear the similarities in here. And as I was reading through them, I actually found out I skipped one in, in the outline, but we'll just put it in here. But the first thing is, is the eyes. The Bible says the eyes of him that stood before Daniel, before John in, in the book of Daniel were like lamps of fire. In the book of Revelation, John described them as a flame of fire. The one that I, I forgot to put in, the, uh, didn't put in your outline was the face. The, in the book of Daniel, it says his face was as lightning. And here it says his countenance, um, where was that? Uh, his eyes were at feet and voice, sorry about that. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And uh, that is verse 16. His voice as a multitude, it says as a great trumpet in the book of Revelation, as the sound of many waters. His clothing was linen girded with fine gold. Uh, it says his loins were girded. In Revelation, it says he had a garment down to the foot. And his paps, or in the middle of his chest, was a golden uh, girdle, a golden belt was wrapped around him. In Daniel, it says both his arms and his feet were like polished brass. In Revelation, he said they were as brass as burned, as if it burned in a furnace. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity. Most people uh, really don't, but uh, I've done what a uh, little bit of what is called brazing. That's where you take a brass rod and you heat it to the point of melting. And uh, what you have to do is you have to put on a good pair of very heavy sunglasses or you will actually run the risk of burning the cornea of your eyes. Uh, don't ever do it with contacts in 
because just the heat generated can fuse the contact to your eye and you will lose your eyesight. It's, it's a very dangerous thing. But that brass, just before it melts and starts to flow, will begin to glow just, just as bright as gold. And uh, that's the color that, that they were seeing, both John and Daniel fell at his feet. John said, I fell at his feet as dead. Daniel said, all of my comeliness. Now, you got to understand, this was not just, this was not a young, uh, very muscular man saying, all my comeliness was lost. This was one of those grand old men that had lived his entire life serving God at the end of a thread. I mean, he was in the lion's den. Uh, he was stood before Nebuchadnezzar as the order had gone out to kill all the wise men of whom he was one. Many, many times had his life been forfeit for the gospel, for the sake of God, and yet God brought him through all of those times Daniel knew what it was to walk with God. He had been fasting and praying for three weeks continuously, just asking God to give him understanding of his word. And when Jesus showed up, he says, there is nothing in me that's worthy of being pleasing to him. Yet, Jesus reached out and touched Daniel. He said, be strengthened. And he was strengthened through his words. He laid his right hand on the Apostle John. He told them to fear not. Now, how many times... Have you been afraid of something that you really didn't need to be afraid of? I remember when I was a kid, they had this commercial that they played all the time on the television. Somebody was walking down an alley, and all of a sudden they heard footsteps behind them. And you could see them turning, and they couldn't see anything because of the shadows and walking faster. And there was just a little gleam of light, and the person behind them walked into the gleam of light, and they were a Boy Scout. And the person went, and then it was an advertisement for the Boy Scouts. How many times have we been afraid of things that we just ought not be afraid of? Uh, we don't have time tonight, but study the life of Jacob. I mean, you talk about a dumb bunny. He was afraid of Esau. He had no fear at all for his father-in-law Laban. If he had had one lick of brains, he would have realized that Esau was not the man to be afraid of. I mean, Esau was as fickle as a pickle. You know what I mean? I mean, he had no backbone. He was there today and gone tomorrow. He didn't care about anything. Laban did. In fact, it was God that appeared to Laban. He said, you better not say anything good or anything bad to Jacob. 
you know, these men, when they had an opportunity, same for Saul of Tarsus, there was great fear, a consuming fear that fell upon them. Do you think that may be why Solomon said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? See, what we're trying to do is get a practical, living understanding of who Christ is. I know this never happened on the campus at Heartland, but we actually had a professor when I was in Bible college wanted to argue a point. And he said, now, if the authorities came and they said, we're going to arrest your wife and take her away because she's a Christian, would you lie to the authorities about where your wife is and then face God having told the lie? Or would you tell the truth? How many of you know what the answer he expected was? Are you supposed to lie? Because it's a whole lot better to face God having lied than to face the consequences of what telling the truth might get you in. Now, is there anything more dumb than that right there? But that's how the world operates. One guy said, I just wouldn't say anything. Professor said, you're not allowed to answer that one. That's not an option. My question has always been, but I wasn't allowed to ask it, was if they were going after your wife because she's a Christian and you're the pastor, why didn't they get you first? You know, I always just like to mess up their little scenarios. Amen? But I want you to grab a hold of something. You know what our problem is? We don't know Jesus. We're not afraid to meet Him. Now, we shouldn't be. But let me tell you something. How long had Daniel been walking with God? A lot longer than most of us in this room put together. I mean, it takes take a lot of doing to get 90 years of Christianity, would it not? And he fell at his feet. He said, I have no breath left in me. There's nothing in me. You're, you're going to have to strengthen me or I can't even hear you talk. John, who was the beloved disciple who leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper, said, I fell at his feet as dead. See, these things are in here for a reason. Saul, who was going to Damascus to trick, arrest, malign, beguile, whatever he could do to harm Christians... His first question is, who art thou, Lord? I know you're God, whoever you are. 
And he said, my name is Jesus. His second question is, what wilt thou have me do, Lord? He said, I know one thing. Whatever you say. And yet, do we give that even a second thought as we go through our daily process of life? Do we really consider? And and I'm not talking about this foolish WWJD, what would Jesus do? You can't do what Jesus did. He opened blind eyes. He healed the lame man. You can't do that. But there are things that He wants you to do. There are things He wants me to do on a daily basis. It was like the preacher went over to visit. This happened out in the country somewhere. And he said, uh, he said, now Sam, you've been a faithful member of our church for a lot of years. And he said, yeah, that's right, preacher. He said, Sam, if you, if you had a million dollars, would you give half of it to the church? Would you give half of it to God? And he said, preacher, you know I would. If, if I had a million dollars, I'd just write the check right now. He said, well, Sam, what if you had $20? He said, preacher, that ain't fair. You know I got $20. And that's the way most of us live, isn't it? It's easy to give God all those things we don't have. But what about the things we do have? What about what is in our power to do? You see, there is a purpose for each of these appearances. But let's just touch on some differences here. When Jesus revealed himself to Daniel, he revealed himself as the great warrior. You need to read the rest of the chapter. He said, I've been fighting with the prince of Persia and I'm going back to engage him in battle. And, uh, and told Daniel about how that there were going to be three more Persian kings and then the realm of Greece was going to be aroused. And, I mean, this is all world history. In fact, our modern day scholars are so smart that they say there's no way the book of Daniel could be a prophecy. It's too accurate. It has to be a history. Well, why can't God be accurate about what He knows is going to happen? Amen? And He sent Jesus to explain these things to Daniel. Now, let me balance this out. When Paul went to the same Lord and said, I've got this messenger of Satan buffeting me and I I really need to get rid of this thing so I can serve you, what was God's answer? He said, you're going to keep the messenger of Satan, but I'm going to give you grace. Because my grace is sufficient to deal with the problem. But when Daniel spent this time, he came and he gave Daniel the future so clear that all those who discredit our Bible say it was written after the fact. It couldn't possibly been written before. And like our dear evolutionist friends say, you dumb Christians, all you do is put God in the equation and it works every time. Amen. He is capable. 
He is the one that makes it work. He revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus as a great light and as God. You know, Saul needed to get saved. But people say, well, why? Why didn't, why won't he appear to me that way? How many of you know the story of Stalin? As a 12-year-old boy, he went out in the woods somewhere and he said, Now, God, I'm going to give you three days to reveal yourself to me. And if you don't, then I'll know that there is no God. How many of you think God showed up? You see, you and I have something today. Mr. Stalin, believe it or not, had something today that the Apostle Paul, that Saul of Tarsus, didn't have. I've got about 1,400 pages of God's revelation right here, of light that's all over me. You just got to open it up and read it. Amen? He revealed himself to John as the living word, as the beginning, the end, the one that had the sharp sword going out of his mouth, and yet the keeper of the churches, walking in the midst of the candlesticks with the seven stars in his right hand. I'll tell you what. We need to understand that Jesus is all of these things and more. You see, when we see Jesus, uh, it was it was wonderful. I, I stand here in the pulpit watching different people come in. As they were looking at the baptistry, it was great. I love the expressions. It was, uh, I just wish I could have recorded it. But it's not going to be like that when we see Jesus. Somebody said, what are we going to do about the relationships that we have here on earth? And we are so close to certain individuals here on earth and we're going to be in heaven. It's going to be different. Oh, yeah. Because let me tell you something. When you see Jesus, absolutely nothing else is going to matter. Absolutely nothing. It says the former things are passed away. We're not going to remember all the stupid things we did here on earth. How many of you just say, Amen, Hallelujah to that? We're, we're not going to remember any of those things. Why? Because we're going to see Jesus. He is going to reveal Himself to us. He has the message that we need today. You know, I don't know how many times I've preached a sermon and somebody come up and say, Pastor, oh, that, that sermon met my need. And I'm sitting there going, how in the world did that sermon do anything for the problem you just told me about? I have no... But, you know, there's this thing called the Holy Spirit of God. 
that loves to take His words and make them apply to the situation we face in our lives. When is the last time you really got upset because you didn't understand something you read in the Bible? And and I want to challenge you about this. If what you're trying to understand isn't going to help you live for Christ, don't waste your time trying to understand it. I met a guy one time, he says, I know who the Antichrist is. I know who he is. I said, who is it? He said, it's uh, Jerry, whatever his name is, the guy that used to be in charge of Sinn Féin over in Ireland, the Irish, the, the people that were bombing the buildings and stuff. And, and I'm sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. Somebody said, oh, no, it's going to be Bill Clinton. I said, I know it's not going to be Bill Clinton. Who in their right mind could confuse Bill Clinton with Jesus Christ? I mean, come on. How would you do that? I don't care what you're smoking. It's not going to happen. Amen? Amen? I don't need to know who he is. I need to know who Jesus is. I don't need to be afraid of what's going on in Washington, D.C. I need to be afraid of Jesus Christ. I need to be more afraid about offending him than I am my friends at work. Amen? You see, Jesus always operates from the position of authority. You want to know how to get to know Jesus? Surrender. Do you realize he was in charge when he was on the cross? It wasn't the Roman guards. It wasn't the, the, the Jewish Pharisees and chief priests. Jesus was in charge. In fact, if he didn't say, it is finished, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he could have hung on that cross as long as he wanted to. But he said, I have a commandment that I received of my Father that I lay down my life and I'm going to take it again. And, and I just love the foolishness of the, of the Roman, of, I mean, of the Jewish chief priest as they go to the Roman government and said, you keep that tomb closed. And when it opened all by itself, that angel came down. I just love the picture. Can you, can you put it in your mind? Here these guards are, it's pitch black. Maybe they had a little torch burning. And this glowing man just floats down out of the sky, picks up a stone that weighs roughly between four and 5,000 pounds, and says, okay, guys. And they did the smartest thing that they ever did. Played dead. Amen? You see... 
if you'll stop, even the summary fashion that we've covered these things in, and think, is there any religion in the history of mankind that has proposed a God that would even be worthy of shining Jesus' shoes, as we might say today? I mean, stop and think about all the gods that people have come up with over the years. It would take at least a hundred million of the three hundred million Hindu gods to begin to do half of what Jesus has done. You talk about the God of Islam. He's got to have his little army of men protecting him. You know what? Jesus protects me. I don't need to protect him. The Catholic Jesus has to have his mother help him out to be merciful. My Jesus is so full of love and mercy that he left heaven's glory and became one of us and endured the shame of the cross so that he could have a relationship with me. There's no God that compares. If you put them all together, he is the creator, the redeemer, the mediator, the high priest, the returning king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And I could go on until tomorrow morning just trying to describe him. And yet, he is the suffering servant. He is the one sacrifice for all sins for all time. He is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth. He was the most humble of all the humble people that have ever been. And yet we're talking about the same person. He is the very God of gods, and yet the only man that has never sinned. And yet, he says, now I wouldn't believe it if it weren't written down in the Bible. He says he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. I don't get that one. Now let's just be honest, how many of you are ashamed of yourself, of things that you did this week? But he's not ashamed of me. I like the way my preacher said it. Brother Thompson, he said, he knows everything about me. But he still loves me. You can't invent a God like this. You can't make something up this good. See, the world makes up a God that sweeps all of our sin under the carpet. And yet never has to deal with the rotten floor, right? You see, he wants to have a personal living relationship. So much so, so close, that he is going to have to hold my soul in keeping until the final resurrection and then remake me as a glorified being so that I can spend eternity with Him. Because if He revealed Himself 
at this moment, every one of us would be completely vaporized by His holiness. And yet He says, I want to have so intimate a relationship. I want to be such a part of you that I'm living inside of you. You see, if we study anything about Christ, and I'm going long tonight, I'm sorry, but the subject's just too big. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I'm saying that to me too. Now, we've got to be careful here, because... What I want us to do is just put some application to Christology, the study, the doctrine of Christ. Uh, I don't believe in checklist Christianity. I read my Bible so many hours. I've won so many souls to Christ. I've, I've preached so many sermons. I've prayed so, for so many people. Therefore, I'm spiritual. Wrong. You can do all of those things and die and go to hell. What I need is to simply be obedient. How many of you have had the Holy Spirit of God knocking on your door saying, you need to spend some more time in this book. You've got too much time for other things, but you don't have enough time here. Now, don't raise your hand. This is the invitation. I mean, if the Lord has done that this week, you know, what you need to do is just get out of your seat here in a few minutes and talk to God about that. How many of us have ignored opportunities to tell other people about Jesus? Now, let's be careful. Like I said, I could, I could talk most people into getting saved or praying a prayer. But I've never met anybody that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in their life that I could stop them from getting saved. Do you see the difference? One is God working, the other is me manipulating I don't want to do that to people. I want our church members to be here because they want to learn more about Jesus. You know, you ought to be in church because Jesus said so. You know why you ought to put up with your pastor? Because Jesus said so. You know why you ought to put up with that person sitting in the pew across from you? Because Jesus said so. Amen? You say, but I, I got this dead-end job that it just... Wait a minute, is it paying bills? Well then, I, I promise you, you better hold on to it. Because those kind of jobs are disappearing. And, and we need to have freedom to serve Christ in these last days. You say, well, how, why shouldn't I just sign over my whole paycheck and give it all to God? Because then you'd have to be dishonest with the people you owe money to and God doesn't want you to do that. Amen? But I dare say that most of us He would ask a little bit more for than what we're doing. Why, why do we call Him Lord? You see, we're willing to do all the big things and we're willing to grapple with the great concepts of the deity of Christ and the hypostatic union uh, of how that He took the this, this Spirit and the nature and the very essence of God and, and united it with a human body, and yet both were complete in Him. 
I, I just like what the Bible says. Son of God. Son of man. The virgin birth. We memorize that verse for Christmas. The Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Uh, That's all you need to know, my friends. Don't worry about grappling with the theology. Worry about grappling with your obedience to the things you know He said in His Word. You see, if we could see Him, it'd scare us to death. That's why we don't see Him. And I do mean to death. But He's going to fix that. It says, we will know as we are known. No more studying for tests, guys. Know all the answers. Amen? No more sermon preparation because the Word will be living in us. And He is that Word. And I would challenge you, as we think about Christ, there isn't any God that anybody worships that comes even close to all the things that Jesus does every day for us. As far as I know, the Bible is the only book that tells of a God who offered himself in the place of the sins of the people to save them so that he could reconcile them to himself. I call that, the Bible word is propitiation. It's a big word, but it means a whole lot. And you know something? Our problem isn't fill in the blank. Our problem is we don't know Jesus well enough. Our problem isn't we can't do all these things. Our problem isn't we're not doing the little things. That's, that's where the problem is. And let your Christology affect your temper. When you get upset about things, let your relationship with Christ affect that. When you want to do something, when you need a break from Christianity... Uh, Your Christology ought to fix that. Amen? When you're more afraid of offending a human being than you are of offending Jesus, you need your Christology to get in there and fix that problem. And you know what? There's not one area of your life that that won't touch. We just need to get to know Him a little better. A lot better. Do you know Jesus as well as you do your supper you ate tonight? Or haven't eaten yet? You assimilate it. It gives you energy. It gives you strength to get up the next day and go back to work. 
Does Jesus do that for you? That's what it means when he said, I'm the bread of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we could just go on and on and on, and I thank you for the patience of our people tonight. But Lord, I just ask that you would help us as we wrestle with this, these great truths of the person, the presence, the power of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's just so immense that we can't even begin to think or understand it. But Lord, we ask that you would let us understand it in a practical, real way. That none of us would just sit in our seat thinking about Jesus and not surrender to him as our Lord and Savior. That Lord, we wouldn't put off salvation, but that we would get saved even this night. Lord, we pray for each one of us as we struggle through life. That... Jesus would be more real than the problems we face, than the anger that rises up in us, than our fear of surrendering to Jesus Christ in any given area. Help us just to know Him. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll just have the piano play. Take just a few moments.